Welcome to the Conversion Tracking Playbook, where we share how to overcome tracking challenges that e-commerce brands face today and real-world examples of transforming data into insights. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Conversion Tracking Playbook. Today, I have Matt Barr from Acquire Labs as we dive deep into qualitative data. Matt, to kick things off for everyone, just give a quick intro of yourself and then let's dig into Surveys 101. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, Matt Barr. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Enquire Labs. Uh, we are a post-purchase survey solution for Shopify merchants. So we apply speed and scale to survey data, uh, work with a few thousand Shopify brands. Um, yeah, super excited to dive into it. Matt and I have known each other for a while. We have many mutual customers. If you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, this we are sharing stories of what we're seeing work for our customers, what we think is coming up in the next couple of years in the world of tracking and attribution, which Matt lives in. And uh, yeah, so we're going to share a lot of insights in what's working and not working and what we see ahead. So Matt, the, essentially the way that we're going through this type of interview is I really want to have you present surveys and essentially what you do in the, the world of conversion tracking and where we have attribution and BI data warehousing and qualitative data, zero party data. Can you just dive in and give us the one-on-one on what is, what's survey data one-on-one, describe it and what the role of it is in DTC brands? Yeah, totally. Um, so survey data, to use the buzzword of zero party data, essentially it's just another data source that customers are really getting excited about over the last few years, given all the limitations of, as you mentioned, tracking and just capturing data in general. We kind of reference survey data, we, we actually call it direct from consumer data, DFC data. Um, it's kind of part of that flywheel of like you're marketing to customers, so kind of on the D2C side. Um, we talk about survey data and even first party data, kind of whether it's the data you guys are capturing and whatnot, as this under this umbrella of DFC data. And that's data that you're capturing directly from your customers. The most exciting thing about it for us right now is it's very resilient to changes in whether it's privacy regulations, um, the way people just essentially operate and scale brands, whether it's, hey, a new platform is introduced. It works across every channel. Um, so that's how we view survey data. And I think the, the differentiation that we have coming into the market is we want people to think about the data that we're capturing um, through our question stream, which we can get into, analogous to data that you'd see in Google Analytics. So instead of thinking of survey data, as like we, ran, we run a survey quarterly, we wait three weeks to get any of the data, then we have someone slice and dice it in Excel, and then we get a PDF report and we go make a decision. That's essentially where survey data has always lived. And we want, we want our customers and kind of the whole market to think about survey data more so as this kind of ongoing timeline, a data stream of insights that can get put into use in real time. Yeah. So before iOS wave and even the privacy wave now, what was the primary need for the post-purchase survey? So how did you hear about us or potentially other questions? What was the impetus and need that you were fulfilling when, uh, yeah, again, before this big wave or last year happened? Yeah, totally. So the initial use case, we actually built Enquire V1 for a handbag company here in New York called Kara Sport. And the sole reason was they have a high average order value. So the path to purchase wasn't like you couldn't use kind of direct response marketing where somebody clicks on an ad and goes buys and you have this really clear linear path to purchase. 
it was, again, we were looking at like the time lag in GA, which doesn't really tell you anything. It tells you like yeah. 80% of people buy right away, which you know 90, isn't true. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that was the initial use case of like, how do we help this brand solve attribution? This was in 2018. So like none of these privacy problems were really at the forefront at that point. It was really like, how do we just give some clarity into mainly like influencers and word of mouth for this brand? And the reason we built this and just didn't rely on Google Forms, which was actually the initial implementation we recommended, a lot of these existing platforms just lived in an iframe on the page and didn't connect any of the order data. Um, so you'd get all this meaningful data, but you'd have no idea who submitted it. So that was like, those two things were really the impetus for us kind of diving in and being like, hey, we could build this kind of, at the time, very basic post-purchase survey application. And just to dig into that, so by connecting it or linking it to the actual order, it is Literally, if in, you look in Google Analytics and you see the that order came from Facebook paid social, and then you look at the post-purchase survey and you want to validate that, that you when you ask them, how did you hear about us, you want to validate that the user said Facebook or potentially a different channel. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really, okay. a really good example there is you have your Facebook prospecting campaigns, which essentially just mean a lot of the targeting is like customer has never visited our site is like the most simplistic way to think about it. Facebook loves to grab all the credit for those conversions that they provide because it's prospecting. They're getting new users. But at the end of the day, like a large portion of those customers actually came from word of mouth. Facebook is finding them because somebody is searching something. Obviously, there's some signal within the Facebook platform that's putting them into this prospecting campaign. And without asking customers, you just have no clarity. So again, might not be the most actionable aspect of like, okay, this was word of mouth instead of a Facebook awareness, but like very good from allowing marketers just to build that mental model of like, what is actually happening? Like how are customers actually discovering and finding our brand and purchasing? So post iOS, so fast forward to where we are today, a significant change has happened in the last 10 months. What are you seeing brands do with the data they're collecting from Inquire compared to what they might be doing in GA or other attribution platforms? Has that changed? So before in 2018, it was, hey, hi, AOV customer, we need to validate that their prospecting campaigns are working, where they're coming from. And is that the same question that you're answering today or is it has it changed a bit? Yeah, it's a similar question, but I think brands have just gotten more sophisticated in how they utilize our data. So it used to be like, yeah, we open the Enquirer dashboard and look at it once a day um, and get directional data. Now it's like, how do I pipe this data into my data warehouse and allow my data science team to actually dive in and like pull out some key insights? So it's definitely evolved, which is kind of the path that we always wanted to go. Like we're in the process of releasing a responses uh, endpoint to allow people to like programmatically use this data anywhere to help fill in all of those data gaps uh, and provide some more clarity. That brings up a, a good question. What are the data dependencies? Let's use that use case where you have an analyst that's piping your data in and they're trying to extract the insights out. What are the data dependencies that they have? I, I would assume they're not just looking at the at your data alone. They're potentially blending or pulling in other data sources. So can you describe what that looks like? Yeah, I think some of it depends on a per channel basis. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're really solely trying to dive into like influencer or podcast uh, attribution, like our data is definitely at the forefront of those models. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably the most heavily weighted source of data. And that's mainly just given like whether there's a link or not, it's just very difficult to track with clicks. Um, so that's kind of, so it's definitely channel dependent from a dependency standpoint, like 
GA is, of course, still the holy grail. And I think how people are kind of marrying data types or data sources, uh, especially with our data, like our Google Analytics integration is by far the one that's enabled. We encourage people to enable it from the start, um, like just get this data, data in there so it's there. So it really all depends. I think the other the other component, just thinking about the data sources, is like where a brand is in scale. Like brands that are over, call it 75, 100 million in top line revenue, like their data stack looks so different from somebody that's doing even like 15 million. So it really just runs, it runs the gamut of kind of what the dependencies are. But at the end of the day, like nobody, there's no secret data source. You know what I mean? Um, I think like Elevar is obviously a key player in like increasing the accuracy of the data, but it's not like we're pulling data that didn't necessarily exist before, um, at least from a channel perspective. So everyone, like the fun part about this, everyone has access to the same data for the most part. It's really how you can analyze it and formulate your own kind of directional opinions with what it's telling you. That's a good, that's a good just quote right there is everyone has the same data, but it's actually who's investing the time resources and has that brain power to extract the insights to apply, apply back to any decision making. We talk about this all the time. So GA is a good example where you can become a power user of GA um, for sure. Like uh, you are a power user of GA right here. The funny part is we think about all these kind of out of the box analytics tools from a dashboarding perspective. And it's funny if your brand wants to build a competitive advantage from a data perspective, like the solution probably isn't to look at the same exact charts as your competitors and look at the data the same exact way. So just thinking about creating that competitive advantage, like you need to dive deep and formulate your own opinions because if everyone's looking at the same thing, you're not going to have, you're not going to be able to build that competitive advantage. So that's kind of what we encourage people just to think about this. It's like your competitors looking at the same exact chart, whether it's the tool you could kind of double click into and extract insights, or maybe it's this the chart, or maybe it's a whole different model that you're using that allowing you to better understand attribution and scale faster than they are. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the podcast influencer example and so that we have the hundred million dollar brand and there's, you know, they have a half million dollar spend on Tim Ferriss podcast or one of these other, other big podcasts that you would think is going to push a large volume. How, if I'm just to repeat what you said, brands almost need to rely on that post-purchase survey data because the user might not be using coupon codes, which is, seems to be the norm with podcasts, or obviously they aren't going to see it in analytics because it's likely being, it's direct traffic. They're listening to it on a podcast and then pulling it up on their phone. Can you double tap on that, go a little bit deeper on what you're seeing brands do? Are they pulling data out from their podcast analytics or chartable or whatever it might be, and then blending it with with yours? How does that, how are you seeing brands utilize that today for these quote-unquote offline channels? Yeah, the most common thing we see is very sophisticated uh, Excel or Google Sheets utilizing a combination of post-purchase survey, landing page, and discount codes for the most part, at least for those channels. Yeah, it's honestly pretty remarkable as far as what people build, given this kind of unit level information. Um, But that's the most common use case we see is some model that's pulling in some proprietary information um, and then is modeled out on a per brand per brand basis. Um, but at the end of the day, like a lot of people are still doing, like our surveys will get about 50, 55% completion. Which is remarkable, by the way. I was talking to Thomas about it the other day and he's like, no, does that, no one fills this out really? And I said, well, 50, 55% of people do. That's, that's what, that's what Matt tells me. So yeah, that, that's a pretty big number. And that's, yeah. that's been the same number the last couple of years, right? 
yeah, it's, and like we have ways to increase it too with like, again, there's some, you're introducing a bias when you force a user to do it, but we have like ways to do full page takeovers and whatnot. But we have a couple of brands that don't do that, that have like 75, 80% completions. And it, to be honest, it's, it's difficult to really pin down why some brands are at 40 and some are at 80. I think a lot of it has to do with the tonality of the brand and how engaging it is with customers to begin with, or even like there's some bias, there's some bias too with channels. Like, podcasts and influencers might be a little heavily weighted from an extrapolation standpoint because people are just so excited to tell you that their favorite podcasts are recommended a product. On mobile too, your survey is the first thing you see on mobile. It's above the fold and almost it's like the rest of the information is hidden below. So some might think it's they have to get they have to answer that to get the rest of the details. Totally. There can't be a more like high intent page in yeah. e-commerce than like, <laughs> did my order go through? Am I going to get yeah. this like kind of thing? Um, so that's definitely been advantageous. It's part of the reason like we're expanding beyond the order confirmation page this year, but it's part of the reason why we haven't pushed it aggressively. It's because we haven't needed to. Like yeah. you're already capturing a sample size that's like 5x higher than what you're used to. Yeah, yeah. I know just with our our customers, we 80% crossover it seems. I think every everyone that I, every customer I see at I just happen to see inquire in there every time. But in general, can you just answer the question, why Why should qualitative data be used for attribution analysis? One is set that up with 80% because I feel like that's a question everyone knows today, but it's good just to repeat and reinforce the why behind it. Yeah, it's really just to fill in the data gaps. Can you describe that? The data gaps in, is it in Google Analytics? Is it the channel discrepancy where people expect Facebook, but it's organic or it's direct or something else? It's really just the like stochastic nature of a path to purchase, essentially, that it is at this point so random in the sense of someone might come to your site 10 times before they purchase and they might do it on a multiple devices and actually finding like, it's just not linear where it's like, these were the 10 sources. Like there's literally no way to solve some of these things. If somebody recommends a product to you via word of mouth, um, there's no just click trail. So that's definitely the highest utility kind of point there is filling in these data gaps to paint a clearer picture. And the other component to this is like it's self-reported from your customers. So like you think about Facebook's attribution, like they're using a probabilistic model to tell you, you can't see the probability of a conversion at this point, but most likely what the ROAS is. And that's kind of what kind of sometimes feels so random um, where this data doesn't have any probabilistic nature in the output of it. Um, you're able to sample your entire customer base and extrapolate to a very high confidence interval without having to rely on a bunch of third parties. I think that's kind of the main reason. The other point is like survey data is just very easy to read. As a marketer, you're making tens, maybe hundreds of decisions a day. Um, and building out that mental model is so important to allow you to make all of those kind of micro decisions throughout the day. And the survey data is just so easy to understand and read. So I think that's the other component of like where it fits in, in the stack. One of the questions we'll get forever is how can I trust my data? So for all of our brands will come to us because their data stack might be a mess and they just don't trust it. So they're looking to us to help solve it. But even after brands are live, either a month, a year, three years with us, we still get that question of, okay, how can I trust that my Google Analytics data is indeed accurate? How can I trust that what I'm seeing in Facebook or any other channel is accurate? How do you manage that question? So is there studies around the bias of people that they're going to pick the first thing in your form or is a recency bias or can you just talk a little bit more about how that 
plays in your world and survey and qual- and direct from the customer data? Yeah, totally. So a few a few points like we have customers who just run like they'll add essentially another response to the survey in a channel they're not even running and we typically see like sub 1% response rates for that channel. So just understanding like, and this is high volume. So from an accuracy st- standpoint, and again, it's all assumptions because you're asking customers, like there's no definitive yeah. way. So customers do that pretty often. We also recommend doing it before you even introduce a new channel, just so you can understand that baseline. And like, let's say you put TV, how, what percentage of customers think they saw you on TV already um, or are just answering that? So there's going to be some margin of error for sure. You're putting, the brand will put TV as an option before they're, they are even running TV ads because you want to see, oh, why why are 5% of people choosing TV? Is that is that right? Exactly. And what we typically see when brands do that is the response rate for those channels are like always sub 1%. So it's a small, like, again, the margin of error there is uh, quite small. From a channel perspective, a lot of it, it might not be like for the question, how did you hear about us? It might not be definitively how a person heard about you, but it's at least directional with how they think they heard about you. So again, that's Possibly even more important they had than how they heard about you is like what is the what is the source that actually hit? But from a recency standpoint, like we recommend asking new customers only, given that most likely they've already heard about you or they've heard about you in a fairly recent time. So the response is going to have a little bit more accuracy to it versus if you were just asking everyone over the course of the life cycle, how did you hear about Coca-Cola? Like that response is going to be the <laughs> legacy brands can't use this uh yeah. in such a kind of a constructive way. So that's how we we often think about it, but we we capture like the order of responses. We're randomizing the order of responses to remove any of that order bias. Uh, I think we're still in like the early stages of survey data analytics. Like we have this fun opportunity serving a half a million of these a month or a day rather of having all of this survey data where it's like, what response are people clicking? Like how long is it taking someone to submit a response? Like if they submit a response in less than a, in less than a half a second, like should we almost remove that from the reporting? Cause it might not be accurate cause they didn't read all of them. So there's like a ton of, a ton of things to do on that side, but at least directionally, like we've done a bunch of studies, like it's very accurate directionally and helping brands decide what's working and what isn't. Yeah. What about multi-touch? That's, that's a big attribution question of looking at, okay, where do I dump my top of funnel dollars? Where do I, where should I be investing in remarketing? How do, how does inquire or the data that you're pulling or how do you coach and consult your customers to leverage your data and their multi-touch analysis? Yeah. So we like, uh, from an attribution standpoint, like we definitely focus on that moment of discovery. Like how did you hear about a brand? Um, from an attribution modeling perspective, like I always recommend people look at kind of position-based in a sense of what's the first touch, what's the last touch. Given the path to purchase could be quite long, it could involve 10 touches, it could involve 20 touches. It's very difficult to action on that as a marketer, unless you're doing it programmatically. Um, And that's where kind of like you guys, the rocker boxes of the world are doing more of the multi-touch attribution that will give you a kind of a weighted number per channel. But again, it gets very hard to interpret and make decisions on. So we always push like we don't we stay out of multi-touch. Again, we like asking questions like when did like how long ago did you hear about us? Which would probably single or signal some accuracy components of your um, of your attribution survey in general. But from a multi-touch standpoint, like let them solve those problems and do it programmatically, and you can action off those. Um, and let us really focus on kind of first touch. So in our platform, we show you we show you first survey response, and then we compare it to referral source or last click kind of the UTM parameters that actually drove the order. Yeah, I want to dig into that just to give 
those listening and actionable takeaways. So if a brand is le- doing less than 20 million, 50 million, wh- what's that number where you'd say, hey, if you're doing less than X, here's what we recommend. Take our, how did, our, how did you hear about us plus recency questions, blend yeah. that with this report in GA, and then here's how to, here's how to take action on that. Can you, can you walk through that again? Start with the revenue number that you see most, most common and then how do they, how do they action on it? Yeah, I think the the thing to think about attribution in kind of a step function manner is think about it like marginally. So when do you need to think about it marginally? So I would say like using an MTA solution is when you're trying to increase accuracy by call it five, ten percent, mm-hmm. like on the margin. Do you have the foundation internally without using a software to understand and build out some form of like internal attribution model? Um, so that's what we always recommend, like from zero to five million, you could definitely get away with doing that and having all of these things internal. And it's all very directionally to help you do those things. And then as you're looking to level up on the margin, essentially, that's when you start to thinking about different solutions, multi-touch, all these things. And again, that's solely because if you're not spending enough, you're not going to be able to extrapolate or extract enough from these platforms to actually get a high ROI. So as far as revenue standpoint, it really all depends on, I think, level of success on a per channel basis. Like if you're doing 10 million and you're not overly excited about like how you're thinking about attribution and your return, like it might make sense to lean into one of these. But like we see brands doing 30 million who don't have anything, use a post-purchase survey, use platform reported metrics in the combination with LFR and they're scaling just fine. So I think it's it really depends on a kind of per store yeah. basis. It's not necessarily a revenue standpoint. What's some friction that you see, just to use that as a jumping point to friction that you see if let's say brands, they they have their anal- Google Analytics data, they have Inquire Labs direct from customer data, they might be using another attribution tool. So they have or potentially they're doing their own in their own data warehouse. What are what's some friction that you've seen come up where they're what they see in, in their survey data doesn't match at all what they're seeing in the attribution or analytics or or vice versa? Yeah, so it's it's extremely complimentary. Um, so everybody wants their survey data into essentially be inserted into their MTA solution. Their MTA multi-touch attribution. Correct. Um, so luckily for us, I, I guess not luckily, but fortunate for us, like we're not like you'll never see. Do I use Enquire? Do I use? an MTA yeah. solution. Yeah. Um, it's very much complimentary and like we get calls all the time of like, how do I get my data into this multi-touch attribution solution? And that's, uh, I think that's positive. Because you're pushing your data into Rockerbox to Northbeam, Triple Well, et cetera. Exactly, exactly. And I think the good thing there is like all of those platforms are excited to get our data because everyone is well aware. It's like, yeah, I cannot track like podcasts as well with click data. It's just not going to bore, or even like pixel data, which is all, again, there's a lot of kind of accuracy arguments on the the pixel solutions for podcasting, but everybody is, I would argue a lot of these attribution solutions are, are transparent and like excited to get our data because they just know they can't solve it any other way. Yeah. Answer to that, not a whole lot of friction. They just pipe their data in and then they're using that blending and reporting within the their particular attribution tool of choice. Exactly. It's, it's interesting to see like what is, let's say, what does TikTok report from a re- ROI perspective? And then how does that compare to Enquire? Yeah. And it's usually underreported for the most part. It's like Enquire is going to tell you a little bit, honestly, better story. And it's all from your customers. So it's not like it's using some like black box. How is it getting this better number? It's like literally people are just telling you they heard you from this platform. So it's always interesting to compare. I think Facebook, just to talk about 
something that's been happening recently. I think more and more customers are thinking about Facebook kind of as like a billboard in the sense of we're just, we just spend to spend directionally. Like if we were just to run a regression on Facebook spend and revenue, they're correlated and just treating it more so in that sense versus the sole like DR, like direct response strategy that was how everyone did it two years ago. Um, So I think that's going to continue to move in that direction, just given like everyone's upset or just like the changes that are happening with Facebook, I guess, to say. From post iOS. So their lack of being able to blend device data to ultimately match back. And and just educate marketers as far as what they're doing. Like it's turned into, like they talk about it all the time. We show you conversion metrics based on a probabilistic model. So they're literally can't track that conversion and they're just using some obviously really sophisticated math to tell you with some interval, like, okay, this is what we think the ROAS is based on all of these other signals in the data. Um, so it's just turning more and more into a black box, which like a billboard is a, there's no black box, unfortunately for a billboard, but it, the only way to look at it is from a regression or maybe look at location data. Um, but it's very difficult. You can't track someone seeing a billboard um, outside of maybe asking them. Don't you think that's a mistake, though? I mean, if you look at the, probably most people don't, but the Q4 earnings from Meta, their daily active users, monthly active users, their uh, household family users, everything was up like eight to nine percent. I think their total uh, was it like five billion in the world people have access to the internet, and there are you know, three million plus active users of Facebook. So it's, I get the billboard example where they're it's almost like okay, they can't you can't grow anymore. It's just they they have between Facebook and Instagram. I mean, there's everywhere. How can that be? And this isn't necessarily just just for you, but what have you heard? If they're just taking dollar, brands are taking dollars from Facebook and moving into TikTok or other apps that still have the Android and iOS dependency, platform dependency. Are, are brands hoping that those channels are going to solve the tracking issues that Facebook can't? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's directionally where privacy restrictions are going to be everywhere. Um, So I think the only reason people are, like if you're starting a new brand today and you don't have a huge budget, like I'd probably recommend someone go put money into TikTok, whether it's through their ad platform or just trying to use some kind of influencer program before I said start dumping it into Facebook. Just because CPMs are cheaper on TikTok? Literally solely just the, yeah, literally because CPMs are cheaper, whether that's paid CPMs or if you were to extrapolate what it would cost for an influencer, just the virality aspect of it is important. And I think part of it is like Facebook is, you talk to kind of Gen Z and earlier, like Facebook is kind of aging itself. So and I don't have any hard numbers here, but I'd be curious what their like new active user numbers are from an age number perspective. Yeah. So I think just a lot of new TikTok is getting, is really good at allowing people to go viral. Um, and they're getting a larger share of this kind of smaller customer. But I don't think it's, to your point, it's not necessarily a Facebook problem. It's an it's just a holistic problem across all channels. Like TikTok isn't going to do, going to be able to do a better job at attribution, I would argue, than Facebook, like from a resource standpoint. I think Facebook's trying to figure it out and they could probably do a better job of communicating how they're figuring it out versus how they're doing it today. There's a lot of focus on the, the metaverse products for the younger age to re- reintroduce that young age into the quote-unquote meta platforms they grow up and fill that gap where you're seeing obviously the the younger maybe 20 mid to late 20s are more tiktok so real life example is that one that you're seeing based on your your some of your customers is they're taking their survey data where they're seeing a high number high percentage from tiktok 
versus Facebook and they're shifting dollars directly over to TikTok from Facebook based on that? We probably have a hundred plus customers at this point who where TikTok is their uh, the channel that's driving the most revenue for them. And is that paid, paid TikTok? Is it organic, a blend of both? Uh, it's a blend of both. I think the ones that are really crushing it have figured out how to do it without spending a ton of money. It's more of a resource resource function on the influencer side. And that's all, like the whole concept there is like, how do you build a model that allows you to build your own attribution model, like platform or model rather, to solve those problems? So taking take a hundred dollars that they were spending, you know, eighty dollars on Facebook, twenty dollars on TikTok, and now they're taking that hundred dollars and spending forty on Facebook, thirty on TikTok, and then thirty on content or influencer type of content generation that can help enable that vir- that virality on TikTok. Yeah, exactly. And like we see customers essentially just creating programs where it's like we'll ship you product if you go viral, we'll pay you X, and it's very I don't want to say easy, but it's Anyone can go viral on TikTok at some point. Viral meaning maybe more than a half a million uh, views on a video. So that that's definitely the early, the early like areas of success we saw were people u- utilizing Enquire to solve attribution on TikTok without spending a dollar on TikTok's ad platform. Yeah, just to wrap up some insights here or takeaways, it sounds like. Brands still need Google Analytics or an analytics platform. So they still need their quantitative data to use to compare or contrast to their survey data and even potentially what they're getting from their attribution platforms. Yeah, exactly. And it's an interesting note about kind of quantitative versus qualitative data. So a lot of the data we're capturing, we would categorize as quantitative. Um, So qualitative to us is essentially an open-ended text box that will help tell a narrative versus the quantitative survey data is more or less like select this input, select this option on the forward, and then it starts to look very similar to your Google Analytics data. But I think that what I'm seeing from a GA perspective is, or how I kind of like coach our customers or if I'm advising a brand, it's like look less as less on your conversion number in GA and look at all the other directional data points. Like the greatest example is we see often when I look at someone's GA account, I'm like you're I could tell pretty much how much you're spending on Facebook based on like let's just say a $2 cost per click, which is probably a little conservative. So let's say you have 20,000 users or 20,000 yeah, users or sessions coming to your site, so it's call it 40k. And without even looking at the conversion numbers, just looking at like solely bounce rate. It's like if your bounce rate is over 75% for all this paid traffic, like you should really think about how you're targeting customers or maybe maybe improving your landing page experience, which typically isn't the issue, at least initially. So like to me, GA is so, so important. Like I always like to joke, I could tell you how a brand is doing without even looking at any revenue numbers, just looking at bounce rate and channel sources. To me, that's where it's an inv- invaluable tool that like as accurate as possible, understanding user engagement on your site, not even like, don't even worry about like the, funnels um, as far as really because we we have this report we will make for all of our pro customers it's the user journey report where it if it's just think about columns it's you have your channel or landing page and then sessions bounce rate percentage of people that scrolled 50 percent percentage that were 30 seconds on page and 50 percent scroll email sign up product view add to cart initiate checkout purchase etc that is perfect. Like that's definitely what you want. I think what okay. you would disregard is trying to find any linearity in the funnel. 
Um, so you're looking at landing page and bounce rate and that's exactly what I would look at. Like that's literally what I do. It's like source. Then you go to secondary (laughs) dimension landing page. Um, People thought bounce rates were dead. Yeah, not at all. Um, so yeah, it's more so like, Oh, somebody goes to a homepage, then they go to a product detail page and then they go to a cart like that kind of linearity of a path to purchase. Like, yeah. doesn't exist or you're just you're going to have such a hard time interpreting it um, that it's not going to be useful but yeah landing pages for sure like that's a really easy place to in, like spend some CRO money and really optimize yeah yeah cool any any other real life examples that you want to share just from brands that you've seen take action again between their data blending and, and decision making yeah I think the the thing that gets us most excited is attribution is is one thing. It's understanding where your customers, like which channel is driving the order essentially. And everyone really thinks about attribution from like a, re- a return perspective. Um, and utilizing survey data, you can, understand what channels is one thing, but how do you improve a channel? So it's like, it's less of like, what's, what's this channel doing? But like, how do I actually get my ROI up on a channel? The path for the last five years has always been like creative and bid strategy. Uh, for the most part. And what we see that gets us super excited is customers ask questions that you wouldn't necessarily categorize as an attribution question, but questions like, how would you classify yourself? Or like, what are you using our product for? Or something that provides so much more clarity that then they can go use to increase their ROAS because now they're going to talk to their customer in the way the customer wants to actually be spoken to. And like one of the best examples we have, this is 4 by 400 Andrew. Um, one of their brands was this, uh, it's like car wash for dirt bikes. And he mentioned that he had a question, I think it was like, what are you using our product for or something? And he found out that all of his customers were like eight, like families who owned ATVs. But all of their ads were like a dirt bike, like kind of motocross type content. And he's like, we have, we would have had no idea. He's like, literally all we did was change our creative and then our ROAS went through the roof. Um, and it's just Damn. like a different strategy versus like keep testing creative, keep optimizing yeah. bid strategies. So I think that's just one thing to know of like, and I only mentioned that too, because it's even more important now, like one of the brands that we're working with on the TikTok side, their customer used to be like, call it 32 to 40 year old male. TikTok is now their largest source of traffic and it's like 18 to 22 year old females. Same product. How did that transition happen? Uh, great question. Um, it's definitely a mutual client of ours too. So <laughs> the, and they wouldn't have known that. So it's like, well, how do we think about creative now on TikTok if it's a different customer than yeah. just on Facebook or kind of what they're used to? So those are like the key insights. I think people are, once they, like with our platform, once they start asking more than one question, like age and gender, even just kind of at the ground floor, it really starts to paint a picture that like, they didn't even have a paintbrush before. And now they're like slowly yeah. starting to paint this yeah. picture of what's actually happening. Well, I know we have a, cause we have the GTM integration and LOVAR f- to push that data in. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes that'll go through a webinar we did a year or two ago that shows, okay, how to pull all this data, create custom dimensions where you can have those different answers pulled in in different dimensions to pull all that into analytics and do that blending. I'm going to ask you about the uh, the 30, 30 to 32 shifting down to 18 and 24. That's that's pretty wild. Any last tips on how brands should approach decision making or just if they're getting started, maybe they, they're they using you or potentially another tool out there, uh, but they're not really using it. So they have you installed, they're collecting data, but they're not using it. Do you have any tips on how to, how to get started without being overwhelmed? Yeah, I think the easiest 
way to think about this, not even on the attribution side, is just start start with some open-ended questions or questions that maybe you didn't even think about asking. Like, why did you buy today? Um, what was the question the, from the ATV, the motorcycle, the ATV? What was the question that they were asking? How did, how did, they, how did they get that shift? I think it was like, what are you using our product for? Okay. Um, okay. I think it was some version of that. Like, and I don't even know if it was a single response or just open-ended, but it allowed people to say, I'm a family, I go riding on the weekends and it's an ATV. For brands just trying to get started, that's what we really encourage is like add a couple more questions. Like with Enquire and our question stream, like you turn it on for like a hundred orders, like just get some insights and allow you to kind of just get this other data source that like you never had before. Like our product is very sticky when someone starts using it because it's just a whole new data source into this kind of mess of this quant data that they've been trying to understand. So that's usually our recommendation. And then the last thing I'll mention, I mentioned this before we kind of hit record is we're starting to think about this framework we call customer level attribution framework. And the whole idea here is to, when you think about attribution, don't solely just jump to a platform to tell you what your ROI is. Um, that's definitely one method. It's what all your competitors are most likely doing. But what you should think about is like, what can you learn from a cust- from each customer, from each order that would allow you to then build a model from the ground up? And that's kind of similar to mentioning age and gender. It's like, well, if I knew the age and gender of every customer, how would that help with attribution? Well, it might not help with accuracy of attribution, but it might allow you to target channels differently, which is yeah. then allow your ROI to increase. Yeah. So it's more of an uh, optimization mechanism and just thinking about bottoms up versus top down approach when thinking about modeling and building, as you mentioned before, like building that competitive advantage with data. It's just so important to to think about it versus just thinking about it like this is our ROI for the month of February. It's just yeah. kind of like how you think about it. It's like, what, what yeah. can you action on that? Um, so that's just, yeah, some parting words there. That sounds amazing. That's probably another hour episode on its own, which I'll get you booked and get you scheduled. But Matt, thank you so much. You dropped so many, so much amazing knowledge and uh, anything else to share before we wrap it up? Last thing too, if you ever want to like chat, kind of want us to kind of help build some models, dive into whether it's a platform or Google Sheets or whatnot, or just want to dive into Enquire, like we're always happy to do that. Like we encourage our customers to send us whatever they've built internally so that we could then go help build a better product on the on the survey side of things. So if anyone ever wants to get in touch, like feel free to email me. It's just Matt at EnquireLabs.com or hit me up on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter. All right. Your email will be in the show notes. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time on the Conversion Tracking Playbook. Awesome. Thanks, Brad. Uh, had, a, had a ton of fun. We always like to go super deep, so uh, <laughs> yeah. it's always fun. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, we release two new episodes per week. So be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else that you subscribe and listen to your podcasts. I also have a favor to ask. I'd really appreciate if you could leave a comment or review so I can learn exactly how to improve future episodes for you. And last but not least, if you want to connect with me, find me on LinkedIn by searching Brad Redding at Elevar. That's E-L-E-V-A-R. Or you can DM me on Twitter. My handle is I am Brad Redding. I look forward to connecting with you. Thanks again. Thanks again.